When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Jack, can you hear me okay? Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much, as always, for making your way here and checking out the episode and the series. Uh, please do hit the subscribe button so you can keep up with all the interviews that I put out every single week. That's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to keep you up to date on your favorite artists, discover some new ones, and know what's happening in the music world at all the usual spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you you get your podcast from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Johnny Marr. We're going to be talking about Fever Dreams, a new four-part EP series leading to a full album early next year. Uh, the legendary guitarist talks about wanting to make electro bangers and being influenced by classic soul artists to sing more about uh, personal matters, his interest in psychology and perception, and Rock's longtime use of sex as a theme. The former Smiths member also talks about the impossible task of measuring up to past classics, working with Hans Zimmer on the new James Bond film No Time to Die, the 30th anniversary of Electronic, that's his uh, post-Smiths collaboration with New Order's Bernard Sumner, and which album we may possibly see expanded as the next Smiths Vault release. So let's do it and talk about Fever Dreams. It's Kyle Meredith with Johnny Marr. Hi, Kyle. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to see you again, especially with uh, such exciting new music uh, news, uh, Fever Dreams, uh, which we're getting in these little segments uh, coming out right here. And uh, this is some of my favorite music already that uh, that you've made. Um, or, I mean, I'm, I'm always a fan, but this is great. Oh, good to know. Thanks for that. I'm, I'm happy to hear it. It's still really early days, you know, so getting... Um, Feedback, any, <laughs> any feedback's really great after, you know, putting 14, 15 months into work, but particularly with it being so positive, I'm, I'm glad you like it. I'm, re- I'm happy with it. It feels very, uh, feels, uh, very fresh and new, you know. We just, uh, the band have just done a, a few shows uh, to shake things off a little bit, a few little ones and then a huge one, and we put the new song, Spirit, Power and Soul, in the set. We put uh, seven songs in the set, brand new ones, but... Uh, Spirit, Power and Soul, it's kind of one of those times where it feels like it's always been around, you know, and uh, fans, it just sits in the set really well. So uh, that's usually a very good sign, you know, I'm really super happy about it. 
Well, I, I can tell there's definitely a vibe going on with this. And I know you've talked about it a little bit. Uh, what did you want to do or, or where did you find yourself? Because it all sounds like it belongs together as well. Well, um, it's a strange thing because I, I kind of um, usually get in the bands that I've been in, um, all the bands I've been in, it was usually my role in a way. So at the end of a certain kind of like touring cycle or a couple of years on the road, in a way, I was a, I was the, uh, the guy who got up the crow's nest. If we were on a boat, you know, I'd go, there's an analogy here. I'd get up the crow's nest and I'd be like going, new album, ahoy, you know, new, new record, ahoy, you know. Sometimes that was not always met with, um, you know, Oh, you know, welcome, welcoming open arms and smiling faces, you know, and it was probably quite annoying, you know, before a tour had even finished. I'm going, guys, let's, I've got these riffs, let's do a new record. But anyway, I'm still like that. And um, uh, really, when it got to at the end of uh, my last record and we've been touring for a couple of years, I just, I, maybe it's a habit of mine, but I just was like, okay, my mind was already working on where I want to go with a new record and hoping that it would be a development of some sort. So I'm wondering what that might be and what would be of interest to me and interest to fans, you know, because uh, the last record particularly called The Comet was really popular with, you know, fans and the media alike, which is always un unusual. But um, anyway, uh, I was like, okay, well, I was quite ready to do a new thing. And um, we put out a, we put out a, a standalone song called Armatopia, which kind of had sort of electro elements to it. It just came out that way when I was writing it. And it went, it was going down well live. And I, I just kind of was like, oh, you know what? Um, I really fancy us coming back with like um, a real electro banger in a way. As a fan of music, I was able to go, you know, um, yeah, it'd be good to, to, I just wanted to hear that really, to hear what that would sound like. Um, so that idea, you know, it's all very well having a, what seems like a good idea, but you know, you do need to execute it and it does need to work out all right. It doesn't always, you know, the concept, you know, is all, all well and good. You then have to kind of do it. But I was determined to, I really just wanted the first single back to be a high energy, electro classic, uh, you know, single, I don't mean to say classic, uh, but uh, you know, tick a lot of boxes and, um, and be unashamedly kind of going for it, you know? Uh, so then it was a matter of just writing it and, uh, you know, that took me a few, a few goes really to get, to get it right and get the, the phrase right and get the lyrics right and all of that. So I'm pleased with it. You know, I'm pleased. It was a big itch to scratch and it seems like a lot of people, uh, have gone along with the concept. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Like I said, the vibe, the mood, the, the, the pulsating nature, uh, especially of that song right there with it, with the first single with spirit power and soul, like, it all feels great. And you've talked about also injecting a bit of, um, I guess, a gospel feeling in, into it, too. Where where did that come in and, and why? OK, well, on the first solo record, uh, Messenger, which I guess was 2011, 2012, I was when I went into doing this and put my own band together, I, I was kind of hell bent on doing anything except singing about my own feelings, because it seemed like in the culture everywhere, particularly in the mainstream, Everyone was just like, you know, bleating on about their own inner life and this adversity we've got. And, and, there was, and then it, it was the kind of birth of these, like, America's Got Talent and X Factor in Britain. And everyone, you know, everyone would come on the stage and just weep 
and it's suddenly like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing in the world. I was like, oh no, oh no. Um, so the first two records, I tried to really avoid singing anything about myself, anything but. And then really, I suppose you have to kind of drop some of your baggage and you have to evolve and things have to change. And then partly part of being a songwriter, you know, is that, um, you know, you, you come up with some kind of music and you really do have to honor it with the right kind of lyrics. Sometimes there's a lot of things happening in songwriting and um, uh, some, you know, which is great. It's a little, sometimes it can be a conundrum, it can be a mystery, it can be a bit of craft. And um, so in the case of say, there was a song on my last album called Hi Hello, and it was such a pretty and emotive piece of music that I really fell in love with. It, it, I had to honor it with writing a personal lyric. I had to. I had to sing something that really meant something to me about someone I really, someone who meant something to me on that song. And it worked, you know, and, and the audience do tend to like those songs a lot. And uh, so my point being is that over time, you know, you, there are certain songs where you do have to put yourself into them. So at the start of writing this new album that I've, I've got now, this double album called Fever Dreams, parts one to four, early in, on in the process, I kind of went, huh, where am I going to go with? What? I wonder what, what I'm going to say on this record. Uh, it's always a mystery, you know. You can look at that part of the process in two ways. You can scare yourself half to death and go, I have got, I've got nothing. Or you can say, oh, well, this is going to be maybe some work and a period of, it's going to be interesting discovery. And that's the way I felt. Uh, and then the pandemic happened pretty much at the same time. And... Um, I was like thinking, you know, I don't know. It's a fucking weird time for the world. I don't want to be singing lockdown songs. That, that would be a bit gauche. I, I, I want to be a little bit more uh, interesting than that. But, you know, like everyone, I was sort of feeling a little upside down and out of sorts and time was sort of taking on different kind of meanings and all of that. And basically, I think subconsciously, I knew that, you know, I, I, I couldn't really, uh, I couldn't bail out of, of of singing about my own perceptions and about myself a little, okay? So I like it kind of, it just occurred to me that I just kind of went, so I thought, well, hang on. Well, that never bothered Al Green too much, did it? Or it never really bothered Marvin Gaye too much or Aretha or, you know, Bill Withers or, I, for some reason I just got pulled towards, well, hey man, you know, some of the, those great soul records, the language, well, you know, the language of song, which is very simple and direct and unpretentious, but expresses a lot. I thought, huh, I could do it that way. And now when I explain it, it sounds very conceptual and like it was a clever kind of concept, but, <laughs> but it was all kind of instinctive, but the, it led into um, the first few songs and Spirit, Power and Soul is a good example of it. Because I wanted that to be, you know, uh, I wanted it to have this kind of. Uh, I thought, yeah, what what does soul music do, you know? Uh, and it expresses this kind of very big emotions in very cool speak, you know, without being too uh, kind of arty or clever. And uh, and uh, I then waited and waited for the phrase that came. And when Spirit, Power, and Soul came up, I just thought, wow. I mean, that just sounds like every great soul compilation album that. I, I wish I'd bought, you know. <laughs> so it's it's fun being a songwriter. It's fun. It can drive you mad if you let it. It can make you 
sleep deprived, which it does, it can make you, you know, back your car into the garage wall, you know, it can make you like miss appointments, uh, but it can also really get you really high when you think that you've done something really good, you know, and, and then, then the job is just, then you wait and see what the public make of it, which is the real deal. Have you backed your car into your garage because of a song? Oh, many, many, many times. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. The dogs, when I'm making records, my family know to keep out of my way. Even the dogs keep out of my way. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> um, the, you, it's interesting. You, you were talking about, you know, even wrestling with the perception uh, of you when it, when it comes to what you wanted to write about, because... And, and I'm probably taking this a little bit out of context, but um, uh, the first words of Spirit and Power, so are yesterday's gone. As an artist, I've, you know, I've always taken you as a very future looking artist, so that yeah. those words are not a surprising uh, pair of words to hear. But, you know, there are a lot of fans that hold you to those yesterdays, uh, and, and that's nothing new. How much of that gets in the way when you're, when you're trying to push forward? Well, I will answer that question. I'm not. I'm, I'm not evading it. I will just say though that it, you know this is again one of the things about songs. People can take from it what they will, but uh, going through what we've all. I didn't want to make a lockdown record. I didn't want to be that gauche and that specific and that reductive to talk about being locked down or any of that. But uh, the great thing about writing songs and musical poetry is that I can. That song starts. Yesterday is gone. Today I'm so on the run how strange tomorrow will be for you and for me because we got sold out, you know. I think what I was talking about there was just how weird the days were when we were in, going through this period we've all gone through. You know, like was yesterday, you, I would ask one of my friends, uh, does it seem like a long time? And they'd say, no, it's just flown. And then someone else will go, hang on a minute, they'll know. Days seem to go by really long and people weren't going to work and, you know, and the rest of the song, you know, it's like uh, stay awake too long, uh, stayed awake too long, dark has come, hope has gone. You know, I think there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of people awake at night wondering whether they were going to, their businesses were going to survive, whether they were going to, you know, whether they were going to get sick. And so the, that's, the, I try to be a little kind of um, abstract and poetic, but it feel like what we were all going through. So that's what I meant about, and I like, you know, it's, it's a, I like playing with words. So, you know, the first verse says yesterday, today, tomorrow, uh, you know, and then the chorus goes, now the time has come. So I do have a method, you know, it's not all abstract. So that's what's going on with the song. But um, if you want to, about the past, you know, I, um, you know, the past, my past has done a lot of things for me. It, it gives me a lot to measure up to, which I guess, is a good, I don't want to say pressure, but I suppose when all said and done, when I shuffle off this mortal coil, I imagine that having to compete with your past is both futile, but makes you kind of keep the bar high, I guess. So it's kind of, it's probably quite handy, you know, stops you being lazy. Uh, you, you can't, in the case of the Smiths, for example, it's impossible to compete with, with a myth. You, you can't, mythology is, is bigger than truth. And it's interesting and it's a narrative and it's a cultural narrative, but you can't compete with it. If I, if every time I sat down to write a song, I was going to try and beat How Soon Is Now, or I was going to try and beat There Is A Lie or This Charming Man, I would scare myself half to death. I wouldn't be able to put my shoes on, you know. Uh, and, and 
I would never have written Get the Message by Electronic, which I love, or Dashboard by Modest Mouse, which I love, which would have never been a Smith's record or played on all the Pet Shop Boys songs or done the whatever it is, you know, whatever I'm, I can remember. So, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a blessing, you know, because, you know, I, you, I, I've, um, I've made music that some people absolutely live and die by and, or, you know, they certainly get tattooed and on their bodies and all that kind of stuff, which I don't know whether that says something about more about the culture or the, or the people involved in it. I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, hey, you know, I can hear my parents who love music and love everything about me being a musician, uh, scolding me if I start to complain, you know? Well, I'll ask a bit more directly uh, on one more of those lyrics from that song specifically, um, as I work my way further into the EP, what is the energy that you're stealing? I'm stealing energy, some for you, some for me. That's kind of living off idealism, really. That's that's talking about positivity, you know. I'm the singer in the song at that point, and I am aware, this might sound incredibly presumptuous, but I am aware that there is some of my audience who, um, they're really excited when, when, when a new song comes out. And I feel it's, I don't want to use the word responsibility, but um, they are in my mind, you know? And, um, and I want the person in that song, the character, and in that particular song, the first person character is me, is I'm kind of saying, get on board, I've got some positive energy. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. It, now, it's usually provided by lots and lots of caffeine, um, at this point in my life, you know, I'll get it wherever I can take it. You know, but also, you know, I run, you know, I run a lot. You know, some of that song came when I, I like, and like quite a number of my solo songs, I've been able to figure out while I'm running. The, the line, um, the dawn has come, your star will fall. On and on we hear the call. That came when I was running. I was like, oh, okay, unlocked it. And it's a very positive that's that's the first song starts with an acknowledgement of things being very start the song starts with the acknowledgement of things being weird and people laying awake at night and being a bit spooked and then the end of it resolves on a positive note and that that came directly from running so you've got some endorphins in there too and uh yeah so that's the energy that makes a lot of sense then because in the very next song you ask do you receive yeah. were they were they specifically talking to each other no, they weren't, to be honest, but they all work together because so much, so many of my songs, particularly the, the recent ones, are about perception, about how I perceive things. And then obviously how we perceive then affects how we feel. So that's me again, probably getting around the conundrum I set myself of not talking about my feelings. But I'm interested in psychology and I'm interested in perception and especially when it's trippy, you know. And the second song, Receiver, is about erotic signals that we send to each other. You know, uh, quite often it's an amazing um, and a very interesting part of human psychology to me that on a dance floor or in a bar or in a party or, you know, uh, human attraction, you know, the, the, the signals we send off to each other and they can be really quite, uh, uh, they can be telegraphed quite explicitly and other times they're, they're things that we pick up um, you know, quite subliminally. And the yeah, fact is, I, I wrote that, um, the, the I had the riff for Receiver um, around the time I, I was doing the Bond movie. Uh, it wasn't something, that, you know, it's, it's, which if you listen to it, makes quite a lot of sense, really. It's quite dramatic and 
and I liked it because it was a riff that I haven't really put in any any kind of band that I've ever been in before. It's it's a very kind of heavy riff. Uh, so I like the music, and frankly, the music sounded like it would sound pretty good at three a.m. Uh, when a club is getting really kind of interesting, you know. Uh, so it, uh, one of the things about rock music is it, it's a really great place to write about sex. <laughs> it's a great uh, headline right there. That's <laughs> oh, it has been. But I like being, you know. But I, I, I don't, you know. I would never meet to be too crass or. Uh, so let's say sensual, sensual uh, emotions, you know, and, uh, and, you know, but I also luckily doing what I do, you know, I like to be, a, I like for it to be a good listener. And I like to it, for it to be, you know, uh, back in the old, old, old days, something that could have come out of a jukebox. So, you know, um, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, I'm far from trying to be uh, too salacious. Uh, I'm still trying to be, uh, keep some sense of mystery, you know? So I think that's the, the song had a bit of mystery in it and that fed into this idea of eroticism and how we pick up signals and, and you know, if, if you know that's what the song's about, you know, and I imagine like, you know, being in a in an after hours club or even in a tent, you know, I, was, I play a lot of tents in festivals, you know, like, I don't know, 12, 10, 12, 15,000 people. Um, I thought, yeah, this would be a banger in a tent, you know, and it's, yeah, music should be about, uh, a lot of it should be about sex. So, you know, you when you've got a, a song like that, you you do it, you know. It, it is still interesting, even if it was unintentional, how these do work together. Just seeing the things that was grouped in your mind at once and how they play together, just those 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 words, um, uh, receive signals, spirit, energy. Like it all seems to be coming, you know, in this, I don't know. Yeah, sort of, well, again, yeah. Well, that, that's, well, that's, um, that was, that's why I connect where I'm at at the moment with with kind of soul music and gospel music and particularly particularly soul and then you know with, with spirit power and soul and the whole of the first EP sounding fairly electro um, and using electro components you know I I, I kind of was like oh okay uh, I quite like if someone I, I quite like that what I'm doing at the moment is electro soul I've never heard of electro soul. And particularly from, I guess, you know, if you want to put even more labels on it, uh, I guess if I had to, someone was labeling what I do, I'm, I'm an indie rock musician, you know. So um, uh, so an indie rock musician whose current record is Electro Soul, <laughs> on paper I'll take it, you know, it reads very well. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll go with that. And the words, but a lot of the words, as I say, are about, uh, I find that, so much are about perception, you know, sometimes perceptions can be warped and sometimes perceptions can be uh, uh, confusing. Confu I, I'm sure I'm not the only person who, who is wondering why I'm confused. Well, let's, um, as these do sound like they go together, does it, what, I, I guess what I'm asking is, what are the next sets? Because again, as you said, this is Fever Dreams parts one through four, it will end up in a double album. Yeah. Do the other do the other groups of songs find themselves playing together in similar ways? Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, so the the uh, yeah the the uh, album album is what it is because the the title came to me before right at the start of the process. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. Call the comic came near the end. Um, uh, play uh, the first album, Messenger, was written at 
right at the very end, I called the album that because it was named after the song. Uh, but with, with this album, uh, Fever Dreams Parts 1 to 4 was the title. But that was before I had it, I knew what the parts were. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about art is I was like, you know, you, you sometimes put the... Uh, you put the cart before the horse, so to speak, or you, you, you employ lateral thinking, which is great. So I was like, okay, I've got this title parts one to four. Well, what do the, what does that mean? What do those parts mean? And then it gave me uh, a sort of a, an opportunity to release the music in a, a, in a different way. So yeah, it's a double album. It was written and recorded as a double album, but I can get to put it out in a different way. And that does a couple of things is that, A, it takes care of my impatient nature. So I don't have to, you know, drip out two songs and wait till next March for the whole album to come out. I can get it across to audiences and start to play. And also it kind of completely accidentally kind of works in today's culture whereby you can release songs in chunks. I would ordinarily have not thought of that, but when I explained it to the record company, they, uh, you know, they thought I was a genius. And of course I, I didn't oblige them otherwise, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's me. Um, modern man. Uh, it just ticked a lot of boxes. Um, but really I was following an artistic imperative really, which is I've got this thing that won't, that I think is a great idea. Now find a way of making it work. I've never put a record out. That's just part, part one or part two or part three. And when I was a kid, I had some records that did that. You know, I had a Eddie Kendrick's single, Keep On Trucking, and I had a, a Human League record. I had an Isley Brothers record uh, that I was in different parts. So I, it was something I've not done. I've never done a double album before. So anyway, I'll answer your question. When uh, when I then had a group of songs, I, I, I was able to put a few whiteboards up in my studio and then start putting these groups of songs together. So you are right in that, you know, receiver, I just thought was a, would be a great one to follow spirit, power and soul. And then I started moving them around a little bit, like, um, you know, like, like pieces on a chessboard and sort of, and then I would finish. I thought, okay, well, because of the vinyl running times and, you know, I need to get these songs pressed and stuff, then finish EP2 first. So at least those EPs can come out. So therefore finish that song. Well, that song doesn't work on EP2. Okay, move that. So you get the idea. Uh, and then most importantly, when that was kind of worked out, it gave me a structure for finishing the rest of the album and making side four finish in, and complete the picture. And so in that way, I was kind of writing to order, which all sounds very clever now that I explain it, but <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a fruitcake while I was doing it. <laughs> Yeah, but it does make it so much uh, fun for the fans. I say that it, to, to me as a sure. fan and everything that, you know, we do get this something new to look forward to all the time because we're greedy little bastards when it comes to things like that. We, uh, we do want I'm the same. I, I think like a fan. No, I don't mean a fan of my own. I think like a fan of music and everyone I've been um, lucky enough uh, to, to uh, you know, great people that I've been lucky enough to meet and sometimes even work with. Uh, are all the same. They all, all think like fans. Paul McCartney thinks like a fan. You know, I think Beck thinks like a fan. You know, uh, it's it's uh, keeping that flame alive. I think is. Uh, I think fans of yours know that as well. You know, it, it makes you makes you think like your audience, and I think that's a that's healthy. You know. Well, on top of this, 
you know, with with Fever Dreams and all the parts that's coming out on this, uh, you've also done score work on the new James Bond movie. Uh, of course, you uh, did some music on the uh, the theme with No Time to Die, Billie Eilish on there, and 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 here you are also doing some of the score work. There is so much tradition that comes along with that series. How do you play to that? You know, well, you do have to be aware of it. I, I would be not being honest if I said, you know, you, you aren't. Uh, everyone involved really is. Because, uh, yeah, because it is, you know, I, I don't, I think the word iconic gets thrown around way, way too much these days, but it is, if anything's iconic, it's the music that John Barry wrote for, for that, that, you know, for those movies. And um, Hans is the right person to do it. And quite rightly, you know, uh, he, he thought that that guitar should be involved. It turns out that I, you know, over the last 10 years or so, I've become his kind of go-to guitar guy and we're very close. And we've done a few films together now. I think maybe this is the fifth one, maybe maybe four, five, six. But um, uh, when he got the call, he called me straight away. It was, it was Saturday night, late Saturday night. He called me, said, I've just been asked to do the Bond movie. Do you, what, do you think I should do it? And, and, and as his friend, uh, you know, straight away I said yeah yeah I do and he said well would, well will you come and play the guitar in it when he asked me that question all all friendship went out the window I didn't care I was <laughs> like <"Yeah." laughs> and they uh yeah of course I was going to do it but actually we then talked about how uh the Bond music uh guitar was a big big part of it uh, of the stuff that we all loved you know it was a big part of the 60s Bond movie movies it was a big part of live and let die you know, um, it, it, uh, and quite often, you know, with, with all the films that I've done, really, I um, I almost see what I'm doing is, I almost see it as like a service to the guitar. For, you know, of course, it's a service to the movie, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the guitar in there as much as possible, um, because I think it's been because I think it's become neglected, and it's not, and it genuinely, really, isn't it about me. The other thing, of course, about the Bond theme, I don't know whether this is the case in the United States. Uh, I can tell you definitely is in, in the UK that, um, you know, the last time I, I thought about the James Bond theme, I would have been 10 and I would have, or nine. And it was when I was trying to play it, you know, when, was one of the first things growing up in the 70s anyway, in the UK, 60s and 70s and 80s, because it's such a simple part, you can play it on one string. It's the first thing you learn to play. And then, you know, and then suddenly, what, 50 years later, I'm in front of the, uh, an orchestra with all these cameras on me. And uh, it suddenly became a very, very, very difficult thing to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, really easy to mess up, you know? I was thinking, not now, Johnny. Don't, do not overthink this now. This is not the time to have an existential crisis right at this moment, you know? But elsewhere on the film, though, it's interesting because, you know, uh, times being what they are, you know, the movie's very high tech. And uh, there's a lot of stuff that I do on the films now that I, I guess, you know, you would call sound design. Uh, that I'm, is very exciting for me, you know, and I believe I, I'm happy. I see it as a competition. I try and beat the synth guys. I'm like, hey, listen, do you want a noise that sounds like something just horrible, horrible electro virus? I can do that on the guitar and everyone's thinking, yeah, sure, you know. Uh, but it's just something to do with the wires and electricity and what you can do with a guitar that I, I, I think it'll ultimately be a keyboard hands down, really. So I, I kind of, I'm quite, you know, competitive like that. So, 
yeah. And then he kind of just presented me with a whole load of music. Some of it was very dense and very complete, and some of it was, you know, very dramatic. And uh, and then you know, said just said find a place to make that sound like James Bond. So I did did my best, you know. Well, I mean, what you do on the guitar uh, again, and we're talking. 35 years or more of what you've been doing on the guitar. I mean, it's always been impressive. So I'm not really surprised in that. Yeah. Uh, I love what you and Hans do together every single time too. It's just it's, yeah. such I'm an interesting, looking. yeah, different gear. Um, I, I will quickly ask just a, a little bit about uh, the passes we wrap up here only because I noticed it was the 30th anniversary of uh, the first electronic record. Um, yeah. W- which was a really fun one to revisit lately. I went back and listened to that one just for the fun of it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I did a couple of interviews uh, about the first record and, um, you know, I came, I came out of those conversations feeling really good. You know, I remember remembering that time. It felt, you know, it was, it was so good. Um, you know, cause uh, you know, there was, a, when Bernard and I got together to do those records, we, we had no idea that literally it was like, it was as if there was a tidal wave behind us that we we weren't aware of, that of a complete cultural shift in in our own city, and it came really quick, and we all like a tsunami, you know, and then it spread right across the country, of everything being different. It happened because of technology, you know, digital technology, samplers, computers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, the house music thing was about to happen. It became known as Manchester, but because it it blew up in, in my hometown. I was only 24. Uh, Bernard and myself, you know, Bernard, had, had, you know, he'd been through Joy Division in New Order. He found himself really needing a break from the sort of, from the, the unified group mentality of a band, New Order, and he wanted to do something different. I'd just come out of the Smiths, and so we both had that shared experience of wanting to do something different. And unbeknownst to us, there was other musicians and artists who were also thinking like non-band. So we, we, Bernard and myself, I had no intention of finding a bass player and a drummer and standing up against the wall and looking like the Ramones or, or even the Smiths or New Order. We were like, hey, hey well, it's a new kind of thing. You know, we use the recording studio like an instrument. And, um, you know, the times were such that we weren't alone in thinking like that. In, in, in uh, Europe, you had Technotronic. In London, you had... S Express thinking along those lines. I guess, you know, in the States, maybe you had um, Nine Inch Nails thinking along similar lines, you know, uh, bringing the technology into it. Um, and you had, uh, and then here we had Massive Attack and all these non-bands. And that's the way Bernard and myself were thinking. We, we really, we were the only people in the world who weren't thinking you were in New Order and I was in the Smiths. Everyone else were, was thinking that. And then of course, you know, unbeknownst to us, you know, that our first collaboration, if you throw the Pet Shop Boys into the mix with their, you know, with their, they really, if anyone will raise the bar, it would be Neil and Chris. And then we had this huge hit in the States, we're getting away with it. That, that changed things for us then. We thought we were going to be these kind of like little white label putting out like a DJs or something. So anyway, we were a little naive, but that, that was so exciting. And I was, as I say, I was only 24 and there was new, technology there was new clothes there was new graphics there was new drugs it was just fantastic but then but but every day I would wake up the fact of the matter was I would wake up in the morning to to a landslide an avalanche 
an earthquake, which was the Smith's breakup, which just went on every day. So I just had that going on over there that wouldn't let me go and the media and lawyers and and people writing books and all of that was just determined to to pull those buildings down on me and but yeah this i look back now and i see this 24 year old little dude with the weight of the world on his shoulders but with his incredible you know you know um set of friends matt johnson from the the chrissy hind bernard sumner who just went hey you're free come and let's let's make music together and you know uh it was a very uh, very schizophrenic and um intense time for me and um luckily you know some some great music came out of it i think get the message as all was was always one of my favorite things that i've ever done when i did it and i still play i was playing it only yesterday with my band uh, uh so um you know it was all worth it cuz just for that four minutes of music, you know, it's amazing. I am. Uh, I, I do have that uh, that Queen is Dead box over here. Um, are there more vault releases th that's coming from that camp? I mean, do you all plan that stuff still? I, I never plan that. I, I, I uh, you know, luckily I have to say that um, the the people over the last 10, 15 years are involved in uh, in kind of I guess uh, uh, kind of put well putting that stuff out. Uh, I've been people I like, you know, there, there, there was a period in the 90s that I didn't care for, that I, I thought this, this catalogue had been treated fairly shabbily and I, I certainly didn't like the sound of it and the way it had been mastered and uh, for some reason that had been taken out of my hands, there's a lot of politics, but um, I've got to say, you know, the folks at Rhino have been, they've been very respectful and uh, grateful for that. Uh, so then maybe, you know, I get a, a email or a my management give me a call and say apparently there's 12 interesting versions of uh paint a picture that people want to listen to and i go really <laughs> <laughs> i know that uh in the case of the last album because i know for my part i went into that record wanting for it to be uh much more space in it uh, and uh, less adorned. I was so hung up on the Beatles White album, and uh, you know I wanted some of it to sound a bit like that. On Happy Birthday, I think does that. Uh, Death at One's Elbow. Um, um, I started something. There's a lot more space in it, um, and because of that, the, you know I remember the monitor mixes did sound really good. And and if if things are a good listen, uh, uh, um, I, I'm fine with with people enjoying them. You know because. You know, because I am like that. You know, I, I like, uh, I, I, you know, I enjoyed hearing the genesis and uh, of some of the T-Rex uh, masters that came out. And, I, you know, I like hearing Sid Barrett demos and things like that. So as long as it's, you know, people don't feel it's a ripoff, then, it, you know, it's all good. Well, I, I can hope to hear some of that, again, as a fan of what you've been doing sure, uh, throughout your career. And especially with what you're doing with Fever Dreams, parts one through four, Johnny, thank you so much for the music, and especially thank you so much for spending so much time talking about it with me. I so oh, appreciate it. No, it's, uh, it, no, it's nice. Good, good time. A lot of music coming out. Thanks for asking me, Kyle. Yeah, anytime, man. Anytime. Take care, and uh, we'll see you around soon. All right, Kyle. Bye, man. Mm -hmm.
So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Now Johnny and I last got to catch up back in uh, 2018. This is when we were talking about a solo album called The Comets and how Depeche Mode influenced several of the songs. Uh, Johnny also revealed why he turned down an offer to reunite with The The. His desire to collaborate again with Hans Zimmer, which of course did happen, and whether he was worried uh, Morrissey's controversial comments had any impact on the Smiths' legacy. I'll include that one here too. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Johnny Marr. Hey, Carl, it's Johnny Marr here. I, I am. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, I've, I've loved the solo records. we got the third one coming out called The Comets, and, um, and from what I've heard so far, uh, this is a really cool record, and I guess the easiest place to talk about is is maybe the the loose narrative that kind of goes throughout this one. As I gather, it's about an alternative society in the, as you put it, not too distant future. Yeah, the the record does have a a, a theme that I come back to in the songs uh, that aren't the personal ones, uh, and that theme really is that I find myself kind of, uh, well, because I genuinely like to think about things I pick up on in society, uh, and I've done that on the first two records, um, I, I genuinely like to do that, but I found that I didn't want to think about society as it is now, and so I ended up, I guess, going into my imagination and, and thinking about a sort of, in a way, an alternative society, or um, what it would be like if, you know, if, if we had a different one. It's not too c- as conceptual as that might sound. It, I mean, really, what happened was, uh, with uh, everything that's been going on over the last couple of years, um, politically, I, I just didn't want to be brought down by, or have my work, my record brought down by singing about the political scene. But, you know, you can't help but sing about the world you live in. So I ended up kind of, as I say, going into my imagination somewhat and um, singing about what it would be like. There's a few songs on there that are kind of what it would be like to be in a different society. The opening song, Rise, is pretty much two characters, you know, man, woman, lovers, you know, partners, friends, me and the audience, whoever, kind of going, all right, well, we've got this new future to deal with. Are we both up for it? And it's very, a very sort of stirring song. And um, once that was in my imagination, a few other songs kind of followed that that kind of theme. Yeah. When you when you look at this, you know, and, and so we're talking about you know sort of a, some inspirations from Brexit, from uh, what's happening in the White House, uh, certainly other places around the globe too. Do you see similarities of um, of early '80s England with the Thatchers and and, and everything that was happening there, uh, the Reagans over here? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, I guess. When I first started putting the solo records out, I found that I was being asked in interviews quite a lot about, you know, my feelings about whether musicians these days are less political or they need to, should people have more political kind of commentary in their songs? I think the answer to that is, is no, no, I don't think there's a, a responsibility of, of the artist, any artist in movies or 
you know, movies or uh, music or anything really. Uh, not, it's all, you know, up to the individual. However, you know, I do come from, started out in the early 80s when in the UK, Thatcherism was, had a very, very big influence on our day-to-day living and as did Reaganomics, I suppose is the name for it in, in the US. And um, really me and what I was doing with the Smiths and, um, and a whole bunch of the British bands, The Cure, New Order, I guess, Depeche Mode, on and on. You know, without, you know, having to stand on a soapbox and be preachy or even be overtly political, it was understood really that there was a, there was a common enemy that we felt that we were being squeezed out by and that kind of poor folks were being kind of squeezed out by and um, music fans. So just the act of being in a band felt almost like a, a position, you know, taking a position. So, you know, I'm known for coming from that period. And um, and I guess people who are interested in me or followed me over the years can kind of guess how I feel about certain things and certain people who are on the political scene. So I find that I'm being asked kind of a, a lot about that. But to answer your question, yeah, I think it is starting to feel a little bit like the squeezy's on and there are people... Uh, who are controlling our lives and who are very, very big in our lives, who uh, remind you of uh, those other figures. You know, it feels like a similar kind of, uh, similar issues, similar kind of struggles, similar kind of frustrations. But I do have to say that, <laughs> strangely enough, those people kind of almost did me a favor with my record because I so wanted to not have them in my songs. I, I kind of remembered that my life as a musician and my life as a music fan can be about escaping those things. And that, let's, let's call it rock music, if you like, can be a, a pretty useful escape from those kind of concerns, you know? Uh, I, I always assume that my audience are people who are like me and who like music for the same reasons. And, you know, a few songs into the record, I thought, hey, yeah, you know, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm singing about escape here. You know, there's quite a few songs that are about different, just getting away from it. And with the exception of one song, which is called Bug, which is directly influenced by the feeling of the, the virus spreading through us, the virus that is the you know the right wing ideology. With the exception of that song, the record is is a musician escaping into his band and his life is music and music. And hopefully, I've I've made a record that when people listen to it can make them feel like they're escaping too. You know, I've, I've got no answers to to uh, what ails us, and uh, I, I I don't feel myself that I, I'm smart enough to have any kind of solutions, but uh, I think if I can make for a really interesting list, then I'm doing my job, you know? I mean, you can definitely get that. And I sort of had that written here, uh, escapism and inspiration, because I know one is to, you know, to kind of pull away from maybe the uglier stuff out there and then to kind of give that inspiration to make that better life. And I know that's that's heard throughout this record, so... um... I'm glad, uh, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, and I, and I know there are a lot of you know singular issues that you could focus on uh, if you wanted to. Before the record came out, there was the priest, which I, I think I remember reading, kind of hit on the homeless epidemic that, that's happening yeah. out there. And I, I want to tie that in because you mentioned some of the other '80s bands that you came up with, Depeche Mode being one of those. A couple of years ago, you you covered "I Feel You." I hear that sound coming through a song like "The Priest," and I think it's a little bit in there in, in "New Dominoes" as well. Uh, I, I don't know if there was a direct influence in there, if it's sort of just you know your time and era, you know, sh- proving itself and yeah. showing itself. Well, you know, there's a very practical reason for that, and that's that, uh, my studio space is in a. It's in an old factory. It's, it's on the, the top floor of a, uh, an old factory building on the outskirts of town. And um, I think the environment feels very industrial, you know, and um, that kind of seeps into it without a doubt. Uh, 
being high up there in this big industrial place uh, makes you feel a certain way and 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 i like that kind of music anyway it's it, to me it's uh when those bands were starting out uh in, when we were all starting out in the early 80s it was quite exciting to take the technology of the drum machines and kind of mess with them a little bit i think that felt very forward looking to me and um probably the songs you mentioned um the priest and new dominions and, and there's a couple of boots on the record were a direct result of me following that process where I took a drum machine and I put it through a bunch of guitar pedals and with echo on and lots of reverb and made this big, big kind of uh, industrial kind of noise. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, that's a kind of cool, cool atmosphere that I've set up there. It isn't necessarily me taking a song into my band and playing it on a, on a guitar and singing it and saying, this is the way the song goes, let's all join in. It's very... It's that kind of industrial process. So uh, I like that. It still feels it, it. It feels much more musical and creative than pushing a mouse around on a computer screen and pulling down a bunch of menus. You can design a similar kind of effect, and there are plenty of great electronic programmers out there who, who can follow that process. But you know, I'm, I'm from the kind of original days where it's fun to take a drum machine and, and put it through a, a bunch of guitar amps and try and get a performance out of it and, and then build a song on top of that, which is what I did with a few of the numbers. And uh, then and me and the band then have to, have to learn how to play that. And that's uh, that, that still feels strangely futuristic to me. And uh, it creates a the kind of sound that those machines create is... is uh, sort of strangely soulful in a very cold cold way, you know. Right. I, I think that's made it sound a bit more, I don't know if that's the right phrasing, but I, I think it's a, this one's a more British album, a British-sounding album, than the, than the previous two solo records were. It's sort of what I imagine right. with those factories, with those darker tones, with those minor keys, you know, this one feels like a more British record than, than the last two. I don't know if you hear it that way as well. Uh, you know, I, I hadn't actually thought of that um, before. It's interesting. I think I think it's a more dramatic record, and I think you know what you're talking about. The songs are some of the songs are a little longer and um, a little more, yeah, emo emotive and dramatic. I followed my feelings going into this record, which you might may, may sound a little obvious, but um, because I I in 2016 I'd written the the sort of biography, set the boy free, and then uh, I took nine months making that, and then when that came out immediately I, I then um, promoted that which took me to the start of last year I was out promoting that book uh, on a book tour and then when all of that writing about my childhood and my life and the band had been in and you know right literally writing the life story was done and then I had to go and explain my life story which is all very much a process of looking back and analyzing and theorizing and explaining I, I was really really needed to get in the studio and make some music either with my band or on my own and you know I, I saw this new factory space and it was like a that's what I mean about being led by my emotions I, I didn't have time to you know kick back and go and sit on a beach somewhere or do some shows and and conceptualize the next record too much uh really get my themes together I just wanted to make music so I would go in the studio and uh, as I say plug in machines or plug in my guitar and I was just led by my feeling that I didn't have any concept. And I think because I've been through a period of introspection with the book and uh, I was in this space, I think that led for it to be a more, um, I would say more honest, but a more um, personal 
some of the songs are more personal. Let's put it this way. On the first two records, I definitely had an agenda to not play anything longer than four minutes or four minutes ten. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted the songs to be very much daytime music, what I call outside music. So I wanted the first two solo records to sound good in people's earphones when they're on the way to work or on the way to college or on the way to the gym or on the way back from school. Very much about the daytime. Uh, and have that daytime energy, whereas Paul the Comet is a little darker, as you as you mentioned. There's the more minor keys and um, more feelings of yeah, exploring my, my sort of emotions a little bit more. There's Action Tractor does that, I think, and that's like the song "Walking to the Sea." That's a song that I, I think could only have been made once I got the first two solo records out of the way. I think uh, it's a beautiful record and. Now, I know you're taking it on tour and you're going to be playing songs from your entire career. Uh, I, I know that probably means some songs from the Smiths, but does that also mean, do, do you play songs that you did with Modest Mouse and The The when, when, when you do the live shows? Do you know, I don't. Um, I think, one, oh, uh, no, I don't. I do with Electronic, uh, the band I had in the 90s with Bernard Sumner mm -hmm. from New Order. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's because both The The and Modest Mouse are actually out touring those songs now. So, uh, I don't know. I felt like it might be a little different in the there, but in Modest Mouse, I definitely felt like I was uh, guesting in that band. And it's Isaac Brock's band. Uh, I think, you know, he put... Isaac had already put an awful lot of his life into his band before I joined the band. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'd do a crazy encore one night when I maybe do a, a song that I'd written with those band, with that, that band or something. But... I don't know. It's, it's, the Smiths was different because I formed that band and Electronic, I formed that band too. So uh, those songs, those bands felt a little bit more like, um, you know, I created them from scratch. So I think maybe subconsciously that's why I do that. You know, but yeah, I've got a kind of kind of a big long repertoire of things that I've done with a lot of different musicians that maybe I could in investigate one way or other. Um, the important thing is that my band have to make them sound like like my band. I, I you know, I'm not trying to make it sound necessarily like uh, the Smiths or Electronic. We, we have our own kind of, uh, we put our own feelings into it, I think. You know, now that you're really into the solo career, you know, now we're album three, now this is really, really real. Do, do you think your days of joining bands, and I'm not talking about collaborations, but, you know, like you'd done with yeah. Modest Mouse and that, do you think that's in the past and this is this is now what, we've, what I, we're have we getting? Yeah, I do, to be honest, Carl, because this feels very much like my day job. Um, running the band, fronting a band, is, uh, <laughs> gives you plenty, to, plenty of work to do and plenty to think about. And it gives me a lot of outlet as well, you know. So any free time that I may have in the future, I like to be taken up by looking for, for uh, uh, inspiration for songs, song titles, concept to songs, a, a lot of reading, a lot of watching films and uh, with my antenna, things that I can sing. So I, I think, yeah, this, this definitely is my, my main thing. I don't, I don't really see my, myself joining the group. If I'd, have, if I'd have wanted to be in another group, it, I would have joined the Reformed Verdeur, I think, mm -hmm. because that was a, a proposition, you know, or... Um, you know, it's a scenario that maybe could have happened. And, and, you know, I have a real brotherhood with that band. I played on the, the comeback song, which is a beautiful song called uh, We Can't Stop What's Coming. I, did, I really was happy to do that. And as anyone who's read my book or followed me over the years knows, you know, that really I was a potential member of the, the before the Smiths even. And, um, you know, so to have, what, 35 years later, to have played on the, the, the comeback single was a, felt, felt really right to me. 
but that band had gone out on tour now, and um, I ended up recommending uh, one of my friends to take my place simply because I have a solo career that, and uh, and a, a big organisation that I have to uh, I have to kind of steer, you know, and that's that's nice. That's a good thing. I feel good about it creatively and personally. The uh, the the other the, a couple other things I'll hit here though. Um, collaborations with Hans Zimmer have been really fun. Are there more of those planned? Hans and I have always got the, the door open. Uh, either me working on movies, I keep threatening to drag him into the studio to work on my record. Um, Steve was so busy, but yeah, I've done a few movies with Hans now. I, I got very spoilt that the first one was Inception, which you know won a bunch of uh, Oscars and was a really beautiful experience. And yeah, you know, in a way, I'm very proud that that brought guitars back into film music because before that, guitars believe it or not, has been a real no-no in, in certainly in big kind of Hollywood movies. So we, we kind of scored a little bit of a, a, a goal there for, uh, for guitars, you know. Um, and I, did, I was involved with the Spider-Man movie and we did a Julianne Moore film called Freehold and um, there's a couple of other things that I pop up on uncredited on, on those those movies. So I'm always around with Hans. You know, my son plays in, he's working on uh, a film with him now and plays in his orchestra. So Hans and I are like family, so you, you can't really get away from that. It's a, that's, an, that's an exciting thing. I, I think I'll be doing more of that. Uh, and, and the last, uh, you know, we did get the, the Queen box set uh, last year. Do you think there's more of those? Because that one sort of came out of nowhere. That was a big surprise for Smiths fans, too. Do, do you think you're going to do more of those uh, album box sets? Well, I'd like for that to happen. Really, the, the short answer is that um, we could do that with every record. And I have to... Uh, if the politics allow, I have to give Warner Brothers all the credit there because um, they did a really great job of it. They they respected the legacy, they respected my wishes. I was involved quite closely in putting that together with them, and they respected the fans. I think by putting out something that was classy, and uh, they did it, they did it well. So that, that was great. You know, credit where it's due. I think I've been I've always made sure I keep my eye on those things. There was a period in the 90s when uh, I wasn't really very pleased with the sound of, of, of what was going out of the Smiths records. I didn't like the way they'd been mastered. And again, you know, the, the, the record company listened to my complaints and um, let me go back and take all of the stuff they put on the, those 90s records. And uh, they're, they're now out there sounding really good, I have to say. So, so yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's some good things, uh, I think valid things that are part of all those Smiths records. Um, not a ton of stuff, but they could do a decent job putting out, I think, pretty much all the official albums anyway, Strange Ways and Meets Murder in the first record. So if uh, if, they're, if they're allowed to do that um, without too many politics, then I'll, I'll get involved in, and do my bit, you know. And those politics. Uh, I, I do want to ask, though, when you've got an ex-bandmate, as you do, who says a lot of big, outlandish things in the press, do you ever worry that that takes away from the legacy of the Smiths? I, I don't really worry about <laughs> don't worry about very much, to be honest with you, these days. Um, I, I don't really think you can change people's relationship with songs, and uh, the songs are what they are, and the band was what it was, and the band stood for what it stood for. We're always very different people, and um, I think most people know that. So... You know, those, those things are kind of out of my control. I tend not to worry about things that are out of my control. I just see what happens, you know. 
Well, so far, so good. I mean, um, the love for the Smiths hasn't ended, <laughs> nor has uh, the, the rest of it. And again, I don't want to end on that note right there, but uh, I, I have been such a fan of these uh, this uh, now trilogy of solo records, uh, and I look forward to keep yeah. hearing what you're doing, and especially with the uh, the rest of Call the Comet that's on the way. So I thank you thank for you the music much. yeah, and for the conversation, Johnny. You know, it's all a privilege. You know, Thanks very much, man. I'm, I'm glad these people so far away do get what I'm doing. That's very gratifying. Yeah, we'll keep listening. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Kyle. All right, man. Bye now. And my thanks again to Johnny Marr. The newest release is Fever Dreams, parts one through four. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Again, hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with uh, all the interviews that we put out. Three brand new ones every single week at all the places that you can get your uh, podcast from. That also includes YouTube for the video versions. After that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. Make sure to say hi. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, no, thanks for inviting me. That's okay, yeah. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.